I'm Aria Schwartz, along with Rachel Galligan and Ben Dull, and welcome to the Windsider Show, where it's all about the W. Today, we're talking yearly awards. We're giving them out, and we're giving our cases why. show please consider joining our patreon community for less than a cup of coffee a month you can directly show support for the hard work we do covering the w and don't forget to see the amazing staff's written content over at winsider.com that's winsider.com in one of the most intense and eventful WNBA seasons of recent memory the playoffs are here and that means many things but one of the things that it means is it's time for the WNBA yearly awards while rachel ben and i don't have a league vote, no shade, we are going to be giving out our awards today. So take a listen as we dive in on some key awards and uh, why we believe they should be getting it. Let's start off with Ben and just say uh, a little quick hello. How you doing, man? Nice to to hear you outside, uh, your voice outside of the Windsider Daily Show. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm breaking form appearing in a a podcast that isn't just that one, I guess. (laughs) Rachel, how you doing? Nice to have you back. Thank you. I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Excited for the playoffs. Ready to go. Well, this is going to be an interesting episode because I know for a fact that while the three of us agree on many things, there's many things we don't agree on. So there's definitely going to be some debates at a certain point. uh, We're definitely going to have to hit the foghorn and kind of say, all right, we've made our case. Let the fans decide and move on to the next award. So be aware that we might be cutting someone off right while they're in the middle of a, a point, you know, that you, a listener, are like, yeah, yeah, I completely agree with them. But let's start it off with a fun one. Defensive player of the year. And I'm going to put you on the hot seat, Ben. You're going first. Who do you have for the 2020 defensive player of the year? This one wasn't fun for me. I thought this was the hardest one. Uh, I really struggled. You know, one, I, I thought it was really hard just to just narrow down kind of to a short list. And I think that's kind of borne out. And I think some of the discussion you've seen, I've, I've kind of avoided going through a bunch, too much of that on purpose until I actually made my own picks. But even just through osmosis, I kind of got that sense. I ended up just narrowing. And then from there, I ended up narrowing it down to two between Candace Parker and Alyssa Thomas. And I went with Alyssa Thomas. Yeah, I, I hear that. I mean, I think Alyssa Thomas is a player who's pulled a lot of attention for it. Candace Parker is definitely up there for it. For me, it was a three-horse race with Alicia Clark, and that's not a bias because we had Alicia Clark, shameless plug, on the Windsider film room that came out today. But I will say, like, watching her, I'm more of a... And this is, like, kind of my philosophy. I think a lot of this, a lot of these awards are going to come down to each each other's philosophy of what deserves for the award, you know, what goes into that award. And for me, I'm much more, I I think giving a big, that award is a little bit of a cop-out and hear me out. I think it's a cop-out because you have so many more opportunities for types of plays and sets that are going to attract stats that are easy to use. And I'm not talking about the advanced stats. I'm talking about the simplistic stats of blocks, steals, you know, personal fouls, things like that, um, opponents, points, whatever. But for me, it's just when you're talking about more of a guard in this position, like, you know, you think of Elena Beard, who's one of those players who, for me, really solidified my my kinship to the guard getting the award. I know it's hard and I know often it goes towards a big. So for me, it was it was pretty easy. It was Alicia Clark, um, Candace Parker and Alyssa Thomas were both up there. But at the end of the day, I just I went with someone who I felt was that type of defender that you can kind of key in on before a game and say, you're going to be in charge of covering this person. And I have the confidence that you're going to be able to take them out of their funk or their, whatever you want to call it, the wave that they've been playing in so far this season. Rachel, what what went into your pick and what did you think about it? I agree with Ben. This, this wasn't easy by any stretch, Um, but, but I I agree with you as well. Aria, I I went with Alicia Clark Um, and, and my thought process behind it, um, really came down to just Seattle as a whole, um, just watching them through the course of this season as um, just really the best defensive team, you know, by number and, and by opinion. 
um, I felt like, okay, if, if we're going to pick a player who is, you know, the defensive player of the year, it, it, it should come from the best defensive team. Um, and that's how I kind of framed this. Um, that's not necessarily how I frame everything, but for this specific award, that was kind of, um, that made it a little bit easier for me. And that's just kind of how I felt like to reward the Seattle defense as a whole, um, who, who's one of the best defenders on this team and Alicia Clark. And I, I think it kind of got sent over the top with me when we watched her assignment on Enrique, what was it, you know, late last week. Um, and she really shut her down and, and shut her down, but I, I don't mean shut her down, but that second half made those adjustments and, um, the thing I love about Alicia is she's so versatile on the defensive end of the floor. You know, she can guard multiple positions um, and she, she's so cerebral in the way she um, anticipates. Um, I think she's having one of the best, I mean, she's so consistent, but she's having one of the best seasons we've ever seen just across the board. Uh, but from a defensive standpoint, like you said, she can take that assignment, take ownership of, ownership of it. Um, really study that, really study those tendencies. And it really showed up in her play. I felt like a lot this year. And um, so that's why I went with her. Ben, I'm, cu- I'm curious for you as the the sole person who didn't pick Clark and didn't even have Clark in your top two, what was it about Candace Parker and Alyssa Thomas that put them above Alicia? I think for one, just the general philosophy of just it's going to be harder for a perimeter player to have the same level of impact as any big and you know I think it is it can be instructive to kind of go back to those years that Beard had where one I'm sure a certain party especially in the state of Minnesota would contest the voting in those seasons and I think but I think you can kind of draw some lines even though Beard and Clark themselves are very different players but you know, for Clark, like it just, you know, I, I thought she's first team all defense, like slam dunk. And for her to have one, only one up, up two now, like I totally understand if they're frustrated there. Although to a point, there's kind of been this chorus from some of the players too. It's like, when's, when's Alicia going to get all the love she deserves? And it's like, what, who, like, where are these people hating on Alicia? But it just, you know, if you're a perimeter player, it's just so much tougher. And I kind of asked myself, like, what? what makes Seattle's defense so good? And I tried to answer that concisely with what I kind of thought like their, their tent poles were as a defense. And to me, it's that they can speed you up. They force long passes, which helps them create a bunch of turnovers and they take the ball out of the hands of your best player. And to some degree, you know, you mentioned the the game against Agumbo Wale to a degree that I think that's true. You know, she's awesome at with ball denial. She did that to a bunch of players this year, Kelsey Mitchell, Ali Quigley, even, but when those players go get the ball and like that Dallas game, like I still think the overriding thought is like Arike needs to be able to go get the ball. And like, you need to know how to get open, you know, cause if someone like Arike, Kelsey Mitchell, if they just go at Alicia one-on-one, I think they can score on her. And so just, I think Seattle's defense as a whole, I think it's their length. I think it's their bigs. And I think it's how disciplined they are to, again, just be able to pressure you and more about forcing those long passes than it is, a one-on-one perimeter defender. Cause just ultimately in this league, right. It's not even about isolations on the perimeter all that much anyways. Yeah, I hear you. And I appreciate your insight on that. Moving on to the next award we're hitting with the, with the, the lower level awards, if you will, before we get into the very heated ones. Um, but let's talk about rookie of the year, the Roy it's been, in my opinion, one of the more spoken about topics this season as a whole, you know, going into the season, everybody was Sabrina, Sabrina, Sabrina. Then some people were like, well, what about Kennedy Carter? Then some people were, you know, what about Satu Sabli? Nobody in their right mind going into the season was talking about Crystal Dangerfield winning rookie of the year. And I want to start off by saying that I do think it was a lot closer than probably a lot of people are depicting it or giving it credit. And a lot of that had to do with the injury, I do think. And I'm not talking about the Kennedy Carter injury. I'm not talking about the Sabrina Inescu injury. I'm talking about the Satu Sabli injury because after we got to a certain point in the season, it it almost was clear-cut in my mind at least. All right, Sabrina's not getting it because she's out the whole season. Carter has missed, what was it, like a fourth of the season, so she's not going to get it. And then you look at Satu and you start going, well, it's down to Satu and, and Dangerfield. And Satu has missed a nice portion. So I think that definitely hurts her. But she was starting to, you know, creep back into that discussion. 
And then you have the concussion protocols that really dampened uh, her case. But I I think for me, it came down to there's kind of two camps of thought in my mind when it comes to Roy. There's the stat camp and then the eye test camp. And and that's applicable in, in any category of whatever you want to talk about. When it came to the stats, I think it was it was pretty underrated how similar or how close of a race it was if you just looked at the stats. For me, which was a telling sign, was when you watched the games, Dangerfield just looked so smooth and comfortable and ready for the moment as opposed to, and looked like a vet, as opposed to Satu had those spurts, had those moments, those, you know, a quarter here, a half here, uh, maybe a full game here. But it, it never looked as comfortable and as complete. I will say, you know, throughout what she did made me open my eyes and go, okay, now I'm understanding why she was drafted so high. Now I understand what everyone was talking about, about her ability to do these things. Um, but just in general, I think looking at the season as a whole, throughout the whole season, Crystal Dangerfield has looked like a vet. She's ready for the moment. Um, and for me, it was, you know, it was close on the stats, but in the eye test, it was, it was pretty clear cut for me that Crystal Dangerfield is going to take home this Roy moving on to you, Ben, what do you think? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't sweat this one out too much. I think Kennedy does have a reasonable case, even with the game she missed, but if you stack it up to crystal actually playing the whole season and I'm not necessarily, I'm not necessarily knocking Kennedy for Atlanta's record. But I think you do credit Crystal for doing it on a team that was winning games. So I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's a double-edged sword there. But yeah, I think you do have to give Crystal that extra credit. I mean, she's the number one option on a playoff team on the perimeter. You know, like Nafisa Collier's usage is is what, which, which I think you have to consider for like all W and even if you're trying to make an MVP case for her, her usage is like 21 compared to like 23 for Candace, 27, 28 for Stewie and Asia. Like Nafisa, like you can't just throw Nafisa the ball and just say, hey, go dribble and make, create something, right? You got to get, like, Nafisa in a spot. So, like, them, like, Minnesota, like, needed a number one perimeter option. And for Dangerfield to have basically done that right away has been pretty incredible. And Satu, to, like, what you said, too, I think Satu had a pretty good case. One, if she just plays those final games. And also, if she, if she would have just made a three-pointer this season. I mean, she was, what, like, 19%? And I think at one point she missed like 14 or 15 in a row. So if Satu would have just made some threes too, which wasn't exactly a thing you expected to struggle, her to struggle with. But yeah, I, I think I think it's pretty easy to comfortably say Dangerfield. Rachel, what do you think? This one's a clear cut um, yeah, winner for me, Crystal Dangerfield. I didn't really think about it much, to be honest with you. I think that Satu was awesome and, and I'm excited to see her continued growth. And I think Kennedy Carter... So impressive. I mean, we're going to be talking about her for a long time now. This isn't about them, but this is just about the job that Crystal Dangerfield was able to do as a rookie, being able to come in, you know, and, and be such an impact with this Lynx team. And then, you know, just just to talk about what the Lynx did when we probably didn't anticipate them, you know, being as good as they were this year. Um, you know, it was kind of an unknown as this roster is really being revamped, there's a lot of question marks. And then you have Crystal Dangerfield that, you know, kind of slides in there and takes ownership of this team right away. And in some ways it really felt like she was like, she didn't even skip a beat from college, you know, like, like her game translated so perfect. And and you didn't see a ton of what you would consider rookie moments. Um, at least it didn't seem like it to me. Um, her numbers speak for themselves um, and just how efficient I feel like she was and, um, just really impressive, you know, from Dangerfield. I'm a huge Dangerfield fan. I, I really thought she was going to do well, but I, I didn't anticipate it would be this well. Um, so, I mean, I think you have to give the nod to Dangerfield just beyond just stats, beyond just, um, you know, minutes played, how much she was able to start and, and be on the court. But just talking about this overall Lynx team and their success, she's a huge reason for that. Well, and the crazy part for me is how deep she was shooting the three ball, as Ben was talking about her being the number one option uh, offensively from deep. Like, the shot she was making, the confidence she had, and also to add to that, the the moments where, like you, we all have said, this is, the Lynx are a playoff team, and there was multiple times throughout the season in games where this team was down that she was the reason that this team was able to surge back and make a push and make a comeback win. There was multiple games where they were down by 10 or more and they were able to pull off a victory. And I think early on in the season, we looked at this with kind of, 
you know, jaw dropping. Oh my God, what is she doing? This is amazing. And then as the season progressed, we kind of got complacent, not complacent, but just like used to uh, her doing that to a point where it wasn't that jaw dropping. Oh my God moment. It was like, yeah, that's what she's doing because this is what we expect of her. And for me, when you do that as a rookie, you're putting yourself in a top two discussion for rookie of the year, just flat out. Um, any final thoughts on that, Ben or Rachel? I'm good to go. No, I think Yeah, I think we're set on that one. Well, then moving on, do not forget to hit subscribe on Winsider Daily, hosted by the one, the only, the great, our friend, Ben Dull. And don't forget the website, winsider.com, for all of your written content and the Winsider Network, a collection of different WNBA podcasts. We've got a few different shows there covering uh, different teams throughout the league. Hit subscribe to all of those on any one of your favorite podcast apps. And don't forget to check out the site, winsider.com. Moving on to a highly contested, highly coveted yearly award, the Most Valuable Player Award. And I figure I should go first because, well, can I, I know you guys are... Can I, opt, what? can I opt out of this discussion? <laughs> no, because I because as we as we discussed before this episode, uh, even before we hit record, I, this is probably one where one of the things that I'm going to get a ton of flack for. And yes, Ben's going to get a pat on the back and Rachel's going to get a, oh, we hear where you're coming from, understanding but disagree uh, response. But for me, I'm just going to put this out there and I'm not doing this. For any of the the different fan kingdoms or whatever, this is just my opinion. It's a very philosophical thing when I talk about MVP. I'm not down with this whole idea of the best player on the best team gets the award hands down. I do think that you have to be in general, in general, because I realize I'm about to get hypocritical on myself, a top three to four team to get the MVP award. But there is an asterisk. And the asterisk I'm giving is for Courtney Vandersloot, who I picked to be the MVP. And the reason I'm picking it, and I know everyone's rolling their eyes. Why do you say this is so stupid? She's not even a top three candidate. And I'll, I'll lay it out for you. I do Sloot, Parker, then Stewie, and Asia kind of on the same playing field. I could go with either of them. And I'll work my way back of why I have them ranked lower. And then I'm going to break it down with Rachel. Let Rachel tell me why I'm an idiot. And then I'll rebuttal. And then we'll move on to Ben. And Ben can hop in at any point and tell me I'm an idiot. But for, for Stewie and Asia, I look at these rosters, and for me to say most valuable player, like I, I truly believe the drop-off, drop off if they lose either of those players, would be significant, but would not be as big of a drop-off as we would see if we lost Sloot. And I realize that some would say that that's a different argument for a different award. But for me, you look at Asia. She has a, a shoe-in for six women of the year, not to head, not to uh, foreshadow for, the, for another topic, but she has a shoe-in for six women of the year. She has Jackie Young, who's also been playing amazing and is honestly up there and has contributed for one of the greatest benches the WNBA has ever seen. And you have Angel McCautry and you have Kayla McBride, who hasn't been playing good, but has been playing good later in the season. So for me, you have this stacked roster, which, yes, has been reliant on Asia. But we have these awards, women, like, you know, with uh, six women of the year and looking these these hat tips you're giving to all these other great players on the roster. At a certain point, you need to say, it's universally accepted that this whole roster is amazing, and that's why this team is doing so good. Yes, Asia is the best player on the team and is the MVP of this team, but I don't think that makes you MVP of the league. And then moving on to Stewie, and I say the exact same thing with her, the way Jewel Lloyd's been playing when Sue Bird has been out there. Uh, what we've seen from Alicia Clark, what we've seen from Natasha Howard, is she's go- gotten better throughout this whole season. For me, again, it's an acknowledgement of how good this team is, but it's not clear-cut like it was with Elena Deladon last year, with Stewie two years ago. Uh, with, you know, maybe argue with Sylvia Fowles or with Maya Moore or with Neka Gumake in these past seasons. But th- that's just what my thought is. And then Candace Parker, a player who's on a team that has all this amazingness, because I know some people are going to say I'm crazy for including her when blah, blah, blah. But Candace Parker has really put this team on her back and carried this team when Neka hasn't been playing good and has been out with injury. When Chelsea Gray hasn't been playing her at best ball and has been out with injury. They don't have Shanae. They don't have Christy Tolliver. You know, the way that this team has been able to morph and really ride the back of Candace Parker throughout this whole season has been a- a- amazing to me. And then Courtney Vandersloot, throughout all the injuries we've seen the the Sky have throughout this season, throughout the, the ups and downs, if one thing has been consistent, it's when Courtney Vandersloot is not on the court for this team. This team goes from an arguable contender 
to a maybe playoff team. And I don't mean that with shade. I'm just saying how I feel. So for me, it's Courtney Vandersloot. Rip me to pieces, Rachel. I can't rip you to pieces because I, I, we had this conversation, I think it was maybe two weeks ago, and you were like going on and on and telling me your thought process behind this. And I'm listening and I'm like taking it in. And, and I love Courtney Vandersloot. What, what she has done this year has been tremendous. And the assist numbers, I mean, she's arguably the one or two top point guards in the league. She's going to be, she's going to be a hall of famer. Um, My issue with Courtney Vandersloot is when I approach the MVP, I have to look at it from a, from a team success standpoint. That's just the way I I judge it. That's the way I monitor, unless it's so ridiculous. And so, you know, whatever, whatever that person's doing is so astronomical that you can't deny it. Um, I, I do feel like Chicago limping into the playoffs the way they have and and there's a lot of reasons you know I I I hate it for them um you had you had some players leave you had some injuries I mean it's it's not been easy these final few weeks for Chicago um and I know it has to be a little bit disappointing considering how high we had our expectations for them if if you know we have them up there at the three four spot I do think it's a different conversation so I'm not ripping you to pieces from that aspect but what I do like like you talk about, you know, cr- creating for a team and, and getting everyone involved. Well, like, do you understand what Asia Wilson and Brianna Stewart do when they're on the floor, the, the, the attention that they command? Teams have to throw the kitchen sink at them. Entire game plans are adjusted as a, whether they're on the floor or whether they're on the bench. You know, when, when you're talking about having, a t- you know, a team with a player like Asia Wilson, Brianna Stewart, with the presence that they have, and they're both obviously very different, but you have to team's game plan just for one player. Um, now, getting into my picks, this is really hard. Um, I'm, I'm like, this this is miserable for me to talk about because for me, it came down to Brianna Stewart and Asia Wilson. Um, and I believe I picked Asia Wilson as MVP uh, before the season started. <laughs> um, it, it, it's, it's literally like, I, I'm just, it, it could go either way. You know, you can't, in my, in my mind, you can't go wrong with one or the other. Asia was phenomenal this year. Um, I think her being able to play that natural position um, in the paint um, and, and get the ball where she wants to go without having to, well, you can run your offense through her and get, get her touches uh, without having to worry about the presence of Liz Cambage in there and how does that look, I think is more natural for Wilson. Um, I think that's why she thrived this year. That's not a knock on Liz. It just changes their entire dynamic, and this is more of um, her bread and butter, the way she wants to play and operate. Asia was great this year. She was. Um, Brianna Stewart <laughs> coming off of the injury and starting out the way she did was has been flawless. You know, and And I think you look at the Seattle team, which – you know, it's crazy. You look at the standings and how everything finished and you're kind of like, oh my God, you know, it's, it truly is neck and neck, whether Seattle punted the last game or not. But Brianna Stewart is just a different type of animal. Um, and, you know, kind of really, and I, and I, I crunched the numbers. I went back and forth. I, I mean, again, I, I still don't even have the right answer. I finally just had to pick and I'm going with Brianna Stewart. Um, and it, it pains me because I love Asia Wilson. Like it's, it's right there for me. But the, the difference was when I watched Seattle um, and I listened to some of these players talk and I, and I listened to kind of um, what impact Stewie has on the court and, and, and specifically with Stewart, because if you look at them, a lot of their points are, they're extremely comparable in terms of, you know, minutes per game, points per game, rebounding numbers, very comparable. Um, but for me, it's the assist numbers. Brianna Stewart averaged 3.6 assists, you know, on, on the season um, and how much she demands from the defenses, how much it creates, how much Alicia Clark is able to get open shots and Jewel Lloyd is able to do what she wants to do. When, when Brianna Stewart is on the floor and we saw it game after game and every dominant performance we saw out of Seattle this year, it, 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 it that, that's the difference. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the golden ticket for the Seattle team. And, um, she played phenomenally. And, and again, like everything I just said about Brianna, you could say about Asia. So it, it is it is difficult. But for me, it, truly, it came down to the difference of assist numbers. Um, go ahead and call me crazy. Go ahead and disagree. Whatever way you want, you want to. But I had to find the slightest difference in my mind that made the most sense. Um, and it was the ability to create and open up opportunities. Who can do that more? I guess, who brings more of that to the table? And in my opinion, that's Brianna Stewart. And I just want to add to that something that I saw in the Asia Wilson camp 
was talking about how, oh, look what she did without Kelsey Plum. Look what she did without Liz Cambage. Kelsey Plum, fine. You can you can add that to the element. But the whole Liz Cambage thing, I mean, it just opened up a spotlight for Asia to be more of a focal point of this team in offense. Like, for me, like, that's a very newbie, if you will, view of what, one of the reasons why she should get it. But I'm going to flip it over to Ben and, and uh, break it down, Ben. I went with Asia, but, I mean, I, I don't know. I think it'd be fun. Can we just kind of, like, kind of go back and forth on some of these players? Do it. Here? Yeah. Now that we've kind of <laughs> yeah. set it up. I mean, I mean, I think let's – I mean, let's start with Vandersloot, Arya's pick. Like, the the thing I would say, like, one with Vandersloot is, like, just how good are you actually going to be if Sloot is your best player? And I think this stretch when Diamond and Steve, Diamond Shields and Azrae Stevens left, we kind of saw that. Yeah, I exactly. think you're kind of a 500 team and a few more close games break your way and you can do a little better than that. Sloot isn't taking over games as a scorer and she's heavily reliant on your personnel. You know, if you plop her onto a roster, you know, cause there's just only certain, there's only certain avenues you can pursue to like build a roster. If you plop her onto a roster that doesn't have any shooting in the front court, which is entirely plausible even now, but like even a couple years ago, I mean, she just can't be the same kind of player. And it just, so, you know, to a point, I mean, I had Sloot fifth, but I just, I just think, you know, at some point I, I almost would say like, we're kind of doing the thing I brought up about Alicia Clark too, is it's like, to a point did maybe Sloot need to deserve a little more credit? Maybe, I guess. I don't really know how you answer that though, when you kind of brought, you know, you broadly, you know, speak to these generic swaths of people that, you know, aren't respecting whoever, whatever players you're talking about, but it's like. I, I don't know. I think Sloot's like properly valued right now as an all WNBA point guard and in the conversation, certainly, but I, I just don't think, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't like just purely sticking to the player on the best record for all these awards. But when you're talking about MVP, I think it's really hard if you're going to, if you're going to step kind of lower in the standings to pick someone out of that range. I agree. I agree on that. And it's unfortunate because I do think the potential is there you know, with, with Chicago and it's, it's not a knock. I mean, part of it's her position and just the way she plays. Like you said, she's not going to take over games from a scoring standpoint. Um, But just like you said, how, how good is the Chicago sky when Sloot is their best player? You know, she doesn't have the pieces around her right now. Um, Maybe headed into this season, we thought they could be, but not right now. Um, So I, I agree with everything you just said there, Ben. Okay, I mean, fine. I hear what you guys are saying, and I respect your opinions, obviously. But, like, it's seven points we're talking about per game. Courtney Vandersloot's averaging 13.6. Asia Wilson's 20.5. Brianna Stewart's 19.7 at the end of the season. So, like, while I completely agree with you, I think that there has been games that we've seen this season where she has taken it upon herself. We got multiple games with 20-plus, multiple games over 19 that she isn't a player who is, you know, going to take over and be that go-to scoring option, but the difference of the team. And again, I, I would also caution and say, look at the rosters and this isn't a knock towards Chicago, but look at the roster that you have for the aces and Seattle. I think if you, you know, put, if, if we replace certain people to different teams, Honestly, that's kind of the game that I like to play. And I'm curious for you guys, your thoughts on this. Obviously, I'm in the minority camp here. Obviously, uh, I don't think too many people are going to be coming to my defense on my Courtney Vandersloot pick. And I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it in the sense of like, oh, give her a pat on the back because she had a great season and everyone and I know she's not going to win. So I'm going to give it to her. I legitimately think that she was MVP this season. And that's why I'm voting for it. But I'm curious, like if you move Asia to the sky, if you move. Brianna Stewart to the sky and the roster they currently have or, or do the exact opposite. I'm curious your thoughts of, of the, where these teams would re-rank after doing that, Ben. Yeah, I think, I think both, I think in both cases, the team would be much better. I mean, they're, they're just better players that had better seasons. I mean, and I'm not diminishing like salute as an offensive threat. Like, yeah, if you just run a pick and roll, you know, she's creating an advantage for you more times than not drawing two people. And that's really valuable. But if you just want to stack up the points per game, you also have to remember, like, you just like can't let Asia Wilson, even more so than Stewie, you just like can't let them catch the ball, right? Like if you're just going to let Asia get the ball over and over and over again, you're going to lose. 
she's going to get to the free throw line 15, 16 times and just shoot over you. Like you have to double Asia all the time, even against like a quote unquote good matchup. Like there's just only so many of those players. And just like that also, you know, to, to an extent, like Sloot is a cloud that hangs over a game too, right? Like she all, she's always probing. Like she's, you're always in a threat of, you know, she gets you in an early pick and roll where there's no help and they just get layups out of that. Like that's incredibly valuable. But in the same way, it's just like when you have the, you know, I think Asia is the best one-on-one player in the league this year. When you have that, it just, it completely changes everything you do and what becomes available to everyone else on that team too. For like, for all the talk, like for all the talk of the aces and like their shooting, like they still manage to get everyone else pretty good shots too. And if that's what the idea that, you know, it's, oh, it's so easy to shrink the floor, then why couldn't people stop the aces? Good point. Great point. And Ari, but, I feel like... Wait, I, I just want to throw it out there real quick. Only one of these MVP candidates averaged a double-double. Continue, Rage. If we're talking about Sloot truly being up for most valuable player, the Chicago Sky, just based on statistics, if, if that's the argument, since she doesn't necessarily have them from a you know, the numbers standpoint. Yes, we could talk about her assists, which are historic, incredible. I love it. This is phenomenal. The Chicago Sky cannot finish sixth. You can't be talking about a most viable player with a team that's with their best player leading them to a sixth place finish. I just, I can't get down with that. Yeah, no, I I, I completely agree with you, but I'm I'm going to throw a last parting jab against you, Rachel. Of, of course, the person who played center isn't you know isn't giving the point guard or the assist leader this is, the the nod this is not against Sloot. i think the team had to finish higher they just oh yeah I hear they you. have to finish higher i love courtney vince i would love for her to get mvp you know if they finish on fire and you know they're healthy and they've got their team together and Sloot's out here dishing out 10 assists a game doing breaking records left and right then it's a completely different story but the way things went down the last few weeks and just I feel bad because it's not her. It's just a byproduct of the situation, you know? Um, and so for me, it's, I'm not saying she's a, not in the top four in my mind, but I just can't give her the nod in the top two. Well, yeah. speaking yeah. of top, I was going to, I was going to pass it over to you, Ben. I know you mentioned at some point that she was in your top five, but I'm curious who is your top five? Yeah, I had uh, Asia one, Stuart two, Candace three, Nafisa Collier four, and Vandersloot five. So I don't know, maybe we can talk about Nafisa a little bit here, who didn't come up a ton. Do it. Let's talk about especially since I especially since I had her before <laughs> before your your MVP pick. I just think like with Nafisa, like once Sylvia Fowles goes down, she you know still ends up playing seven out of the twenty two games. So two thirds of the season, you don't have your best player and you know, the player that basically guarantees, you know, any team she's on is going to be a top four defense. Side note, remember when we thought that it was a fake injury to just rest her against the Liberty? <laughs> yeah, that was not true. Um, and, and to still finish top four, you know, I, I just think that's, you know, a tremendous accomplishment. And I think, you know, it's really just Dangerfield and then Collier that really led the way there. You look at the rest of their roster, like they have some good shooters, but other than Dangerfield, not really anyone that can do a ton off the dribble for you. You know, Odyssey Sims got back into the mix, but then there's some trade-offs there. You got to wonder if she's going to make shots. And then, you know, the other side of the floor, they didn't close all that strong defensively. But when they actually could get a stop, like Nafisa was probably the reason why. Like, what, 99% of those times? You know, it's basically, you know, you can play good team defense. You try to be in the right spots and you, you try to play on a string. But at the end of the day, like, they just didn't have amazing personnel and it really came down to like, Oh yeah, at least we have, you know, on top of the the matchup problem, Nafisa can be on the other end. We also have this player. She can play the, she's playing the three, the four, the five, all three spots this year. And Oh yeah, she can just get stops for us at the rim. Even when we do get beat. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, I definitely had myself muted. I um, left you speechless. No. <laughs> Ben, classic Ben. I was speechless. No, I agree. I think Nafisa needs a lot more credit for what she did this season. I think she she struggled. I, I will say this. Something that throughout this season I've noticed and I wanted to bring up at some point, so this is a perfect segue to it, is I think because the season was condensed and we waited so long to start the season, when the season did start, so many of us, and I'm saying I, I am guilty of this, so many of us in the early games 
set that out as the narrative for this season. So Nafisa struggled earlier, early in the season. And yeah, she got it going as the season continued and ended up having a great season overall. But I think there's still that, that I don't want to say sour taste in my mouth, but in the same sense of just how some people struggled and I kind of counted them out early and it's hard to recalibrate from 34, 35 games to now 22 games and how that affects what's going on if you're not just looking at the stats on this. But yeah, Nafisa needs more than just a hat tip. Rachel, any thoughts? I'm good. I, I, I love Nafisa. I think she's shown so much growth in just two years and she's the future of this league. I, I'm going to be honest. I mean, I, I didn't sit down and put anything in terms of you know, my top five. And for, in my mind, I never, it never really got to that point. Um, it has been a steady flow throughout, you know, the last month and a half when you really, really strongly considered who um, the true candidates were, Asia, uh, Stewie, Candace, Sloot. And in my mind, it kind of got cut off at that. Um, whether that's right or wrong, that's just kind of the way it was. So I didn't really um, put a ton of thought in, into it in terms of what was a top five. Um, it's just for me, it's, it's such a clear, like Asia and um, Stewie are just light years ahead of everybody else in terms of what this comes down to. So just kind of focusing on those two was, was my intent. I hear it. Any Anything else you want to hit on Ben before we move on to our next two awards? Well, I think, I think we're kind of building towards, we should have a little bit of a back and forth, I think on Stewie and, and Asia too, but I mean, if we, I think we should do a little bit on Candace too. I mean, LA, if not for what, if not for one game winner by Jewel Lloyd, does that, you know, you notch one more win for them in the win column there. And then does that completely change how they get into that game against Vegas? And are we talking about LA winning 17 games? Like, I think it could be that close. Yeah, potentially. I do. I do think it is close. Um, and Candace was great this year. I mean, just the, I think, you know, the, the double double. I mean, she she looked she looked like vintage Candace Parker. She she was really the the steady, um, consistent. I don't know, like I guess leader of this team in some ways. The thing about Candace, which is is hard, is like I feel like with this LA team, like at times I, I question who who's like the go to in terms of the ability to take over a game. Like I, I still have this like lingering feeling of like who who like who like who are you getting it to? You know, um, and I don't know if you guys feel the same. I'm just kind of rambling here about this. Um, and so I have question marks in terms of like L.A. in a series and from a consistency standpoint. Like I, I feel like at moments they've underachieved, but then I, at times when they're quick on all cylinders, it's it's a concerted unit. There's not one person that just stands out that astronomically um, beyond everybody else. But no, I mean, Candace has been great. She's she's played phenomenally. She deserves to be in that top three conversation. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, she, like I said earlier, she completely carried this team throughout it. Chelsea Gray struggled at points. NECA was out for injuries and struggled at points. You know, there was a plethora of other times. And heck, the just if looking at the, the different starting lineups they've had throughout this whole season, it was consistency. And early on in the season, you know, it was Simone Augustus yelling at this team and, and showing that that intensity and forcing this team to get things done. But as, as Simone struggled through the latter half of the season, you know, Candace who had been doing it steadily really stepped up and I don't want to call it vintage Candace Parker. I want to call it just Candace Parker playing Candace Parker basketball. I mean, she was a dominant player in this league who was showing it. There's a reason she's up for defensive player of the year. Like we spoke about, there's a reason why the teams are pushing it. She has been playing great on both sides of the ball. And I think, the biggest critique that we've had, and not that this necessarily goes into the MVP debate, but the biggest critique we've had from Candace is showing out for full games throughout the last couple of seasons, honestly, since they won the finals. It's, you know, this team kind of lives and dies off of Candace Parker. And we saw Candace Parker giving it on both ends of the ball throughout this whole season. So it was just, it was great for me to see. And I, I think if this team finish, finished, a little bit higher if they would have you know pulled off that win against Seattle if they would have uh in that in that last game you know pulled off a victory against the Aces I think we're talking a little bit differently um than we are right now and and like Ben said like that completely butterfly affects the whole playoff layout if, if they don't lose to that uh that amazing shot from Jewel Lloyd and I'm sure there's a lot of people in LA and in the LA camp 
we're going to sit here and say she stepped out of bounds. So in our minds, we know we won that game. But, you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles. We can't, hey, we can't have a WNBA season without a controversial, did they step on the line? And how many have we, have we yeah. had, had? There was the Chicago one. I think there was a third one even late in the game this year. I'm blanking on. But with I th- Rachel's 100% right what she said about, about like late game stuff and just like who's going to get the ball. But I think that's entirely Chelsea Gray and Derek Fisher's question to answer. Like Candace has 100% done her job this season. Right? No, I agree with that. Them, that's not, yeah. That wasn't a knock on Candace. It's just. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't. That's yeah. not that's not necessarily her her role for sure for sure but yeah just wanted to clarify that I agree with you Ben yeah I wasn't I wasn't saying you're getting at that but like it it, it was a, I think it was a fair question for Candace like when she needs to reach back in the playoffs to go score in you know people want to yeah. if we want to keep using the word vintage to me the vintage wave of Candace doing that is okay top of the key I'm gonna isolate put it between the legs one time and I'm just gonna go by you and you cannot stop me. Can she do that over and over and over again in a playoff series? You know, people love, I think some people love to just like be annoyed. Like, how could you doubt this player as they get older, as if that doesn't happen in every other sport? But like Candace did that a few times in fourth quarter this year, making key plays that won them games. And she's going to have to if they want to stand a chance in the playoffs, in my opinion, because we haven't seen what we need to from Chelsea Gray this year in terms of, you know, being able to take over down the stretch. I, I, I question who that is at this point. I really do. Yeah, I mean, and I, 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 a legit claim. Yeah, and I don't want to get into a whole Chelsea Gray thing here, but just like I don't think Chelsea Gray's been very good this year. Like, I don't think she deserves an All WNBA spot. I put mine out. Like, I don't think she deserves it. And all this stuff. I mean, I, 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 I get like I like that the teams have fun with the whole best point guard thing. But if you watch how the Sparks actually play, she's a two guard. She just stands around for half the game. I don't understand what they're doing with how they use her too, and that kind of speaks to what. Rachel was saying about the late game stuff, but Candace, like I like I think Candace's margin for error this season was zero because I don't think Chelsea was optimized with their offense and as good as the bench was, Neko Gumake just also did not have a good season at all by her standards mm-hmm. and was also in and out a little bit. So like look at that team. Like what else was it gonna come from? It just had to be Candace on both sides of the ball. Yeah, and they were top four defense. Yeah, she had to carry that and she really did. Maybe. She beasted all season. Maybe I mean, she was a dominant factor. Maybe we're not giving her enough credit. Maybe I'm not going to, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know, you know, in comparison of, you know, Stewie and Asia, like if that really still changes anything, like to me, Candace is still third, but I do think it, it deserves a discussion and it deserves the recognition. Yeah. I, well, I also, I also, yeah, I, 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 uh, I can't do the, like, let's give Candace more credit thing when I did put her third still behind two of the people. But I mean, you can still appreciate what she did and just, it also just kind of gets me fired up too, just thinking about still like how laughable it was that Candace had to answer to whatever that stunt was that Fisher did in the playoffs last year. And look how she, look how she responded. Look how she showed up. Like this has been incredible. She's been a really great leader for this team. Like she, she's been about her team. She's been selfless and she probably at times maybe a little too selfless. Um, But that's a good point too, how she responded to the way things ended in 2019. She's put the team on her back. Speaking of averaging double-doubles, she's 0.3 away from averaging a double-double this season. So you got to give her credit on that. Um, yeah, no, I completely agree. It like it, She probably should be in the discussion more. I think there was... I, I think, and I, I'm curious your guys' takes on this. You know, what does it take for a team that's not the one or two seed to produce an MVP? Because... Candace Parker, I think statistically, obviously she wasn't putting up the points for that regard, but in other statistical aspects, I do think that she has a legitimate argument. And was it, do we think that it was so clear cut the, the space between the sparks at the three seed and the aces and storm at one and two? Um, or was it just a fact of, you know, I, I, I just want to pick your guys' brain on why Candace wasn't more in the discussion, because I think for the most part, throughout the whole, you know, coverage world, it's been Asia or Stewie this whole season. I think it should be, I think this case, this season is a good example of the, where you didn't have the teams at the very top with candidates kind of stealing votes from each other. You know, like, so if you look at Vegas, obviously if Liz is just playing, you know, they're both going to put up awesome numbers. And in a way, even if you want to make a case for one of them, 
I think it can get too reductive to just assume, well, yeah, they'll steal votes from each other. It should still be possible, but it gets harder, right, to make a case if you have like multiple players on one team having incredible seasons when they're, you know, high usage, incredible like engines of an offense. And then even for Seattle too, like Sue Bird's been in and out, clearly still incredibly valuable to them, but you know, the leader of your offense has been in and out. Jewel Lloyd, a pretty good season. I you know, not, I don't think blowing your socks off. And then I think Natasha Howard would have been the one where if she took all the scoring she did last year. And I think some of this can be the coaching and it, you know, it's like, it can be a tough fit and all that. But if, if they had Natasha's scoring, you know, kind of a little more condensed and still found ways that they were playing through her a ton, I think that might've been a case too with Stewie where maybe it might've even been a little harder, a little easier to maybe strip some, some votes away. Is this the closest we've had of a season in, in your recent memory um, where it wasn't going to the top seed player. Uh, say that part again. Not like to the- I, I, I feel like very often the MVP just goes to they pick a star from the top team in the league. When it was the Lynx, one year it was Sylvia Fowles, one year it was Maya Moore. When it was uh the when it was the Sparks, it was NECA. Like I'm curious, do we think that this was a situation where it for the first time could have been outside of the top team outside of the top two. I don't know. I don't know. I, that's a tough one for me. Um, I, I think there's a reason that the MVP tends to come from the best one or two teams in the league. They're the best team in the league because you have, you know, something is the best, (laughs) whether that's, you know, a group of people, a player, a great, a great player, a franchise player with the right people around him like there's a reason it comes from those top two teams in terms of just team success but again it's it's just it's, it's how do you define mvp um but are, are you asking if 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 like it like because like for me seattle and, and las vegas like they're neck and neck in terms of in terms of the finish even though seattle was clearly you know the leader all year long it kind of tampered out at the end are you asking could it potentially come from someone else different, meaning Candace this year? Yeah, I mean, I guess like looking, if you look at the historical winners of the MVP, the last time it didn't come from a top team, and obviously this is skewed because it's back when they had conferences, was Lena Deldon in 2015, and before that, Tina Charles and Tamika. So it's it's in 2012 and 2011. Like, it's been that long since we were seeing from like the clear season favorite for the championship wasn't producing uh, somebody to win the finals. Like going into the playoffs last year, Mystics, it was obviously Deladon. 2018, Storm, obviously Stewie. 2017, I think still pretty lo- pretty much locked that up. And then before that was NECA. So, you know, it's been at least four years uh, before we've seen a situation where we're talking about a player coming from not specifically, you know, the best in the league. I think it's an interesting question because like on one hand, I try to like, I don't like to think about this stuff of like, oh, well, what's happened in recent history? You know, like Tarasi had that press conference where she's like, oh, like, I, I don't know. If so it was a question, if it was like a direct question or she just kind of brought it up that like, oh, well, I've only won one MVP. That's cr- criminal. It's like, yeah, that might be true. But like, what does that matter to this season? You know, you don't deserve votes for stuff because you didn't get them before. Like the vote, the, the award is for the 2020 season. What did you do in this season? Um, but then on the other hand, I I guess, like, I guess I would want to like have, have like spent a few more years really like throwing out my picks on this to then maybe reflect on a little bit. And maybe there is, there are some patterns that I do tend to follow too much and that might be one of them. But I also think of the MVP, especially too, as like, are you lifting, are you really lifting a team to like a new level, right? Like to like. I didn't really struggle picking Asia because like, look to look how far she got Vegas this year. Who was expecting them to do anything other than be like a few games over 500. And that can be a straw man. But I mean, this is a case where it was really like who, like who thought Vegas could have possibly been this good. I did. Like, (laughs) well, there, there you go. But like, I think like, cause then if you strip it down too, like if, you know, like Arya, I understand the point of like, 
well, they have Hamby and they have Jackie, and those are pretty good players. Okay, but roll out the ball for a team with Hamby and Jackie as your best options. You're not going to really get anywhere. True. As far as like trying to win, compete for a championship. Last point, Remy. I just don't know how you justify, you know, um, um, some of these other players in terms of Candace Parker and the great year she had, and um, you know, Courtney Vandersloot and what she did this year. Tremendous. It's awesome. Amazing. Okay. But how do you justify that over Brianna Stewart or an Asia Wilson with all these factors? You know, I, I in my mind, I, I just can't. All right. So I'll, I promise I'll be quick because I also wrote a lot of this. So I, just, I don't want to just totally repeat myself, but kind of like the important stuff. Like one, I just don't think Stewie played that great down the stretch. She didn't shoot the ball very well. 24% from deep, 43% on two pointers in her final eight games. And that to me made it pretty tough to really like build a case while Asia shot 50% from the field in that same stretch. And if you want to do the offense defense stuff, Vegas was right behind them offensively, pretty close behind defensively at number two. And if you want to get into the net rating of 15 versus 10, well, I just, you know, my opinion, I just stripped down, you know, when they blew the doors off of New York and Atlanta, Atlanta without Kennedy Carter in that game. And like, I just don't care about the results of those games, like to be honest. So that kind of, that kind of accounts for that difference. And then big picture too with Asia, it's just like, I kind of touched on it earlier. It's just like, you can't just go into a game and just guard Asia one-on-one. You're going to get destroyed. You'll get completely destroyed. And we've seen teams this season. I think it's interesting to compare to 2018. There's differences with Bird being in and out and, and, and a few others too. And Dan Hughes not even being there, of course, but just you, we're seeing more games and teams are more willing to say, okay, Let's just switch stuff with Stewie. Stewie, you want to take 25 shots tonight? Okay, try to beat us. Because Stewie's just a different kind of one-on-one player. And like, I think that's a thing where people, I think that's a thing to point to where sometimes people do go overboard with Stewie where they post the picture of her with all the rings on her finger. And it's like, oh my goodness, this is already the best player we've ever seen and that will ever live. And it's like, no, that's not actually the case. Like if you just throw her the ball when it's winning time, Stewie isn't the same kind of player yet which we also, I think, shine through in this season where it's like if she has to go get you a bucket and the best thing she can do is a bunch of 14-footers, it's not that great. But Asia, if you don't send a double, she's just driving to the front of the rim and you're going to foul her a bunch of times, a bunch more than you do most of these games because it's, you have to work so hard to force her to give the ball up. So that 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 aspect really was, was, a, was maybe the biggest factor for me too. Love it. I think that's legitimate, uh, legitimate points to be made. And, and honestly, I like that, that you put it down so eloquently for understanding, uh, why over Stewie. But I, I I do also think that a lot of people fall into the gap of looking at the early season versus like you did, Ben, kind of look at that home stretch of eight games and decide from there. We're going to go through, uh, the next few awards quickly, but before we do that, I want to talk about first round predictions. We're going to hide that in the podcast episode. So you're not, you're not allowed to give any details or anything. You just have to pick a winner. Rachel, starting with you, Mystics at Mercury or well, Mystics versus Mercury. I got the Mercury. I think uh, Skylar Diggins and Tarasi have been really dynamic when they want to be. Um, They kind of got the sleeper game, hopefully out of their system. And they've been really, um, fun to watch and I think elevated their game to the next level, especially when Griner went out. Um, I just think, you know, I, I got to go with Tarazi on this, on a single elimination game in the playoffs any day. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'd, I'd be pretty, pretty jaw drop shocked if the Mystics won. Mercury, Ben, what do you think? I got Phoenix. I don't think Washington has the pieces defensively to make Diana and Skyler uncomfortable. And if you can't, like Phoenix is just going to get too many good shots. Moving on to the next game, Sky versus Sun, Chicago versus Connecticut. Both both teams from uh from the finals last year inching into the playoffs. Ben, who do you got first, Sky versus the Sun? I'm going to go Connecticut and I'm ready. Kurt Miller, take the gloves off. Give me Alyssa Thomas at the 5. Let's open it up. Get another get another shooting threat out there and let, let's see how let's see how that can elevate you know, a half court offense that struggles a lot just with this with with this personnel. Let's let's see if they can if they can ride that and if that can carry them. I'm I'm joining you on that one. I'm going Sun. I think the the injuries have 
have uh, made their toll in the Chicago sky. And I'm looking at a first round exit uh, for a team that many predicted to go deep into this playoffs. Rachel, what are your thoughts? I'm so excited about this game. Um, I, I, I think it's going to be an all out war, but wow, we're actually going to agree on everything. I'm going to go with the Connecticut sun on this as well. I, I just think that, um, I don't know. You know, it's like you said, they're, they're both kind of limping into this in certain ways, but I think you combine a little bit of that experience from last year with Connecticut, um, with Dewana Bonner and what she can do and, and just kind of the overall makeup of that, that sun team. I like it in a single elimination game. Um, I just, I worry about Chicago and just, um, how, how kind of beat up they are and how, how limited they are in terms of their full roster at this point. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, let's move on to the next award, the most improved player or MIP. Uh, I, I, I think we've been touching on this on every award and stories are great and all that jazz. I personally, I think it's Lainey. When, when you look at the growth that she did from playing substantial minutes last year and, and having, you know, a career under her belt and then outperforming that so mightily throughout this whole season to the point where she was a legitimate option for this team throughout the whole season. And I look at this and I go, okay, yeah, she's, she's, she's it for me. Most improved player hands down. That's not to take away from Aisha Hines Allen. That's not to take away from multiple other players who took full advantage of the opportunity that they were given this season uh, with all the opt-outs. But that being said, I mean, I look at this and I just, this award has Laney's name all over it. Rachel, what are your thoughts? I agree. I went with Lainey. Um, Partially, I I feel her story is incredible. You know, what has happened from last year to now. Like, this was a player that, you know, we weren't even sure at one point was even going to be on a roster, you know, before this season even started. It was like waving, kind of bounced around. You know, it's like finding finding her place in this story is incredible. And then so then to like get on this dream team and and um, be able to have the season that she did. I mean, no, even herself, she said it herself. You know, she wasn't even expecting it and from a number standpoint. Um, just, just, it just blows my mind. It continues to blow my mind. Maisha Hines Allen was phenomenal this year for Washington. Um, very, very close second for me in my mind, but I have to go with Lainey uh, just because of just, I guess, her story in my mind and just kind of what happened in this offseason and throughout the course of the early uh, season. Ben? Yeah, it's Ben Ijelani. I don't think, I don't think Maisha Hines-Allen qualifies for this award when it's just you barely played off the bench and now all of a sudden you're playing in a season that doesn't really have that many, that really any stakes for that team. By the way, they can't even tank because they don't have their pick. So it's just, all right, like whoever we got, like, let's just, let's just roll the ball out and do as best we can and try to be a little forward thinking. So it doesn't diminish what Maisha did either, but it's also like if she was playing more in year two, would we have already seen a pretty good amount of this? For sure. Like it's possible. I'm not, I'm not assuming that Maisha hasn't gotten a lot better in the last year or so, but Laney was a starter on a team last year. Averaging 20 minutes a game. Zero responsibility offensively. If, okay, if you're open, you're allowed to shoot it. And now she's like a really, I mean, I, I think she should be all WNBA second team. I think she's one of the best two-way wings in the league. And and it's not like Heinz Allen's going to get totally snubbed either. I mean, I, maybe that can be a, a rapid fire question for you guys. Like Heinz Allen, I think, is going to get rewarded with an all WNBA center second team second team vote. Because like, who else, who, who else even would be the second team center? Like I tried to look at it, right? And it was like, Dierka Hamby was like maybe the next name I would throw in there. And then you'd probably argue she's a power forward anyway. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. the point about the minutes is huge. Um, you know, it's, it's Maisha Hines Allen has had an opportunity this year, you know, with the way this Mystics roster had just shaken out, like going from eight minutes a game to 30 minutes a game is a huge difference. You know, had she got 30 minutes a game last year, now granted, who knows, depending on who's on the team, um, yes, she's gotten better. Yes, this was a great, great season. Yes, I mean, huge, um, huge season for her. But I, I'm just talking about Lainey in terms of what, what what you said, Ben, from the numbers. You know, she was an integral. She was a starter for the Fever. You know, <laughs> has 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 been starters for other teams in the past. Way back with Chicago, started games, played 13 minutes a game her first year. So, you know, with with being five years into your WNBA career, 
and the most you've averaged is five points and, you know, 25 minutes a game to then all of a sudden here we are. That's an incredible jump as someone who's already an established player as to kind of what we anticipated her career would look like. I mean, this, this took everybody by surprise, including her. I'm completely with it. So uh, we all agree on that one. All right, cool. Moving on the sixth woman of the year. I, I don't think, you know, the, the only thing that I'll, I'll expand on this is to say is like the biggest knock against her winning this award for a second year in a row, hint, hint, is the fact that a lot of people say, you know, she essentially is a starter off the bench. But hey, what can you do about that? Like, to me, it's not even close. Like the the closest argument you would make here, and maybe you guys are going to open my eyes with somebody else, but the closest argument you can make here is Jackie Young or Alicia Gray when she was coming off the bench, but then she ends the season coming uh, off the starting. So like, yeah, I mean, and then injured. So for me, it's Hamby, hands down, no question. Rachel? Definitely Hamby. I mean, I, I, it's hard to argue that. I would be shocked if she doesn't get it. However, I do want to give a shout out to Bria Hartley, who um, unfortunately her season was cut short, but what she was doing for the Phoenix Mercury coming off the bench, you know, the first half of the season, um, you know, had she been able to stay healthy and who knows what that would look like, man, that was, that was an early favorite for a lot of people as well. Um, hope, hope Bria's doing better. Hope she's healing up. Uh, but yeah, this, this goes to Dear Hamby and just the tremendous player. And I, I don't, I don't even understand that. Like she's a starter off the bench. Like, I don't even know what type of argument that is. I mean, you could say that about any six woman of the year, in my opinion. So Hamby is steady and consistent, such a vital aspect of this ACE's success. Uh, she deserves it. Yeah. And, and I'll, the one thing I want to add to that is uh, that thank you for bringing up Rhea Hartley. Cause she definitely should be involved in this discussion, Ben. Yeah. It's, Han- it's Hamby and there's no second place. Yeah. I think Hartley would be in there if she had played a full season and not just start, <laughs> not just started the rest of the games, by the way which may have been the move they ended up going with. But yeah, it's just, and I, I don't want to argue about this because it's like, this is the award, like this one shouldn't, there, you don't have to argue about the definition of this award. Like Dierka Hamby came off the bench this season. That isn't up for, and if you want to like argue about like, well, well, why did Bill, like Bill Hamby's job is to win basketball games. And did he accomplish that job? Yeah. And if he doesn't, by the way, and continues to bring Hamby off the bench, like I'm pretty sure he changed that because like he'd be in some trouble he's losing games because of that so it's like I, I think it's kind of a pointless thing if people even are arguing about it it's just yeah it's just we can argue about the definition but most improved most valuable a lot of that other stuff but it's but when it's like if you fit the whatever the criteria is how many games did you come off the bench it, it's handy completely let's move on real quickly coach of the year for me uh, i saw a lot of people talking about bill lambeer i i just don't see it considering Oh, they, they lost Liz. We knew Asia was going to step up from that. They lost Kelsey Plum. Okay, cool. How are we going to fill that? But you also brought in, like, this isn't a GM award. It's what you're doing with the current roster. For me, I pegged, and, and this is very much so in my mind, Coach of the Year, is like where you peg a team is going to end the season and where they actually did. And that's kind of, and then obviously you include late game situations and play calls and all that. And basically getting the best out of your team. And for me, that was Cheryl Reed this season. I did not expect this team uh, to go above the seventh seed. And I thought they were going to be in the playoffs. I thought they'd be an eight or a seventh seed. They were able, they made me look stupid. I tipped my cap to them. Minnesota Lynx played a great season, uh, end up being the fourth seed, way beyond my wildest expectations for this team. And, and at points, it looked like they might even crack top three. So for me, it's Cheryl Reeve, coach of the year. Rachel, what do you think? This is really hard. I think it comes down to Bill Lambier and Cheryl Reeve. I agree with everything you said about Cheryl Reeve. I think that Minnesota surprised us. I love, you know, she knows what she's doing. She knows how to bring in the right players to this roster. I I really did not anticipate what they did. Um, I really didn't. And I, it it was really impressive what she's done. So for me, it's really hard because I, I I naturally, I feel like for for me, I gave it to Bill Ambier um, because I do think it has something to do with moves in both of them. You could make an argument for both Reeve and, and Bill. Uh, Lambier in terms of offseason moves and um, you know like the way this Aces team looks in my mind Seattle and Las Vegas are are just ahead above everybody else they're in their own kind of world right now Um, and that just is a credit to the job Bill has done building this team to this place making sure that everybody on this team understands their role understand where are we getting the ball to 
you know, where are we running this offense? Like, to me, there's this team, this Aces team has had success because everybody understands their role. They accept their role. They've been efficient with their role. And that's a credit to Bill Ambeer and and the way he has really groomed this Aces team to be in this point of serious contention. So I give it to Bill Ambeer. Ben? I went Lambeer. And kind of like to a point, like I clearly liked Minnesota like way more than a lot of people did going into the year. Although I'm not going to pretend be like, yeah, I knew they were going to still win this game, this many games when still went down. But I, w- I mean, I was a lot higher on their roster coming in to at least be five, six range, maybe top three, top four. And I just went Lambeer too, because again, it's just, I think, you know, the team just greatly outperformed what so many people seem to think was possible for them. And to the point of making additions, well, you still got to put it all together. And again, like to the point of like, well, they don't shoot threes and like, are they playing modern basketball? Looks pretty good to me. I think Bill's making pretty good choices with like what he's asking his team to do. Like he's getting Asia in good spots for the most part without like having her, forcing her to just like asking her to just be stagnant. Angel McCautry, he talked about it a lot, wanting her to understand that her life is easier now because she's playing with great scoring options. And Angel has, you know, commented to the, to the point of that and it's shining through on the court, right? I mean, Angel's just taking great shots, right? She isn't forcing it. And that's kind of shining through in her efficiency. They've still gotten Kayla McBride through, uh, gotten her open and, and, and working through kind of this cold stretch that she had early on. And then, you know, folding Jackie Young into all that. After, you know, a, a down season, I guess a lot of people t- termed it. I think it was more about role, but, you know, he stuck with her through how tough that must have been for her and now put her in spots to be successful with the ball in her hands. I mean, I, I just think it was a masterful coaching job. I mean, that, like, <laughs> like, look at what they've done. I just, I don't, I think anyone, everyone that looking at, that's looking at this is stunned. As we always say, for less than a cup of coffee, you can directly show support for the hard work we do covering the W. Remember, hit subscribe on this show and the other Winsider podcast shows. And don't forget to check out Winsider.com and hit us up, subscribe on Patreon.com backslash Winsider.